Hi there, and great to have you along with me, Cleon and Ianloan, for another podcast edition of the RTE Radio 1 Spoken Stories Independence New Fiction Collection, in which invited writers bring us a new story from a consideration of what independence might conjure up for them, where it might take them, today, a hundred years after Ireland's War of Independence. This series is a creative contribution to Ireland's decade of centenaries. Before we hear Sir Sharonan read the new story Shorn, let's hear a couple of words from its author, Sue Rainsford. I asked myself, well, what does independence mean explicitly for women, especially women in relation to war and violence and the roles their bodies often play in war that are then obscured after the fact. So Shorn is a story about forced haircutting, this rampant practice that was carried out by both sides during the Irish Civil War and is very much a part of our ongoing contemporary legacy of silencing women. Author Sue Rainsford on her story, Shorn, now read by Saoirse Ronan. Her mother's hair was inside my coat, and we'd been walking for some time, the car left unlocked at the side of the road. We'd gone too far before we realised that we hadn't locked it, had left the keys in full view. No chance at that stage that we would turn around, double back and prolong our time outside. Because it was cold, more than cold, the nighttime air a blade that pressed sharp to our necks where our collars widened to our wrists where our cuffs flared. It was winter, and any flesh that flashed bare the winter touched. The kind of cold that is so cold at first, you think you've been burned, scalded. Something our mother had often said, at a certain pitch, hot and cold are the same. Likewise, Love and hate, or pleasure and pain. She said it happened with the past and the present. Those days you feel the past nipping at your heels, heat of the devil at your back. On those days, the two can fuse. And you either turn to look the devil in the face, or you go about your day, pretend you don't hear him laughing. She'd told me what she wanted a week before while I washed her hair in a basin fitted with a groove where she could rest her neck. Years since she'd been able to do it herself and first asked me to unspool her plait in soaped water. Like always, I guarded her eyes while I worked her hair into a lather, lifted the weight of it from her scalp. Right as I was sloughing off the last of the water, she said, I want you to cut it off. To which I said nothing, only took her hair out of the basin and twisted it inside a towel. Her hair that was mostly grey, 
but also white, also silver, that had been a blackish brown when I was a child. A deep colour a part of me always expected to see when I opened the towel again. But no, coarse grey, muted metal shine, curling where it had started to dry. She said, when I die, cut it off right away. And again, I said nothing. Started brushing it out. Worked my way through the loose curls that had long ago turned wiry at the very base of her scalp. Ran the brush through the hair that framed her face and crowned her skull, that still grew out very soft, still settled very smooth. I took my time brushing it, drying it, lingered over the plait. I took my time because I knew she would say something else when I was done. Knew too. There was a reason she was asking for what she wanted in pieces. Soon as I die, cut it off and take it back to where I was born. This whole time I'd been standing behind her. I knew it so well. This view of her upturned face. Knew so well the shape of her skull. How to knit my fingers around it so that her neck felt no strain. My thumbs pressing into her throat where speech made the skin thrum. Still, I said nothing. There was no point. She was my mother and she was dying. Whatever she wanted, it was as good as done. We were moving as fast as we could, given the cold and the lack of light. Helena saying, it'll rain. I had gloves on, but they did very little. Chewed on feeling at my fingertips, making me think each of them was marked with a wetly open wound. Helena asking, why'd we have to come at night? As though she couldn't tell what we were doing was illicit. Something akin to larceny and trespass. Every so often, against my chest and my ribs, her plait jerked, awake and alert. Sometimes in the basin, it had moved like this, twirled with sudden intent. Since we were children, we'd known our mother's hair was different to the hair of other women. And we'd known, when she asked us to cut it off, that we would hear it again. What had happened to her long ago, before she was our mother. Something which had seen her hair grow back dark, where it had been fair, curly, where it had fallen straight. Helena asking, do you want me to carry it a while? As if it were a bag of shopping and not a piece of our mother's body. Helena, who had been the first to say out loud what we both knew. We'll do it. Of course we'll do it. Not that either of us had known what keeping this promise to her would look like. Walking in the dark, falling in and out of stride. Our boots loudest on those patches of soil that still held yesterday's rain beneath the frost. 
It was also Helena who later covered her face in the kitchen and said, I don't know that I can hear it again. I turned on the tap, though there was no call for water. No dirtied surface, no great thirst. My own hand looking strange at the faucet. A hobbled spider with pinkish skin. My sister's voice alongside the running water. I could tell it myself. I know it so well. And while I told her we had to listen, no matter it was something we'd heard too many times before, no matter we knew it by heart, upside down and back to front, it broke me in certain places. To know this would be one of the last things our mother would say. One of the last things her mouth would part with in the bed where she lay dying. I said, maybe she'll be asleep when we go up again. And to my shame, I wished for it, that our mother, with who we had so few hours remaining, would be asleep when we looked around the door. But of course, she was awake, our mother. An old woman wearing a nightdress three pink flowers stitched at the collar and another three at the hem. Our mother, who we dressed in this garment, probably intended for a child, and who lay with her hands over the duvet, resting on her stomach. Our mother's hands with their joints so swollen, they sometimes looked like the runts of a mammal litter. Two little animals born too soon. Our mother, who started as she always started. They said I'd been seen on the road, wearing a red skirt and laughing. The red skirt, same as always. We nodded. Yes, we knew. That was what he said to her, before her eyes were even open. You were seen laughing in a red skirt. Then he took her by the neck and dragged her out of the bed through the kitchen which was entirely dark so she couldn't see what was on the ground couldn't see what had made her feet wet but she could tell by the smell. It was cream. There was cream all over the floor. Spilled cream and broken eggs. There was another man outside talking low to her mother. It was clear by the way her mother held her face that this man had struck her and now as she took a step toward her daughter he struck her again. The man holding our mother's neck said don't worry I'm only taking her up the road. Then he said it again, just for our mother to hear. That she'd been seen laughing and swishing her hips in a red skirt. She told him she didn't own a red skirt. Told him to go look through her drawers. But she knew, she said. Of course she knew what was going to happen. She'd seen them soon as they'd stepped outside. 
The moonlight had shown her how rusty they were. Places where the rust stopped them shining. She thought, He can't do it if I'm not kneeling. All I need do is keep off my knees. She thought this is happening to another girl. The spilled cream. Sound of a man's open hand on her mother's jaw. Another girl going up the road with her feet already cut, already bleeding. Another girl gone up the road and then off it, into a field. Another girl with her bare knees hitting wet soil. She said, I thought he'd made me kneel in a fire. The frost scorched me so. She said she pretended that she hadn't seen the moon. Pretended to herself it was almost morning and that any minute her father would come home. Another girl. Another girl calling out for him to stop one, two, three times. A plea for each time the shears came closed. The cream run into the grooves of the floor. All the eggs broken. What would they eat in the morning? Rush of air at the back of her neck. And she knew what it meant. This part of her, feeling the cold. A place her mother blew on to keep her cool in the summer. Another girl who, when she tried to crawl back to the house, was told, I'm not finished, was told, I have to shave you now. It was, she said, beyond words, meaning the feel of the blade. An entirely new sensation on that stretch of skin which her hair had shielded from even the weakest of things. Winter sun and tepid water. Of course, she said, he cut me all over. Something she told no one for years, that he sang to her while he was doing it. The whole time he kept on singing, running the blade over her where she was already bald. And she realised he meant to keep going till the end of the song, a rebel song. But that could have been a ruse, she said. Everyone knew the words. When he was done, he rubbed her head like you would a dog and she put out her hand, put out her hand for her hair but he put it in his pocket. He took it away. And you heard about this later. As the years went by, when certain men were arrested, they'd hair in a drawer, they'd hair sitting on a shelf, a trophy that over the years they'd been taking out and showing to other men. Her mother found her then, or else they met along the way. Her mother had holy water with her, and she started dousing her there in the field. Our father, our father, our father. She was praying, but the prayer came out strange because when she'd been slapped, She'd bitten her tongue. 
hollow kingdom, give us earth and bread. By morning it looked like she was wearing a cap. That was just the scab starting. It was just the blood drying. When her father came home, he put his two hands on her head, asked her, What have they done to you? What have they done? And because she could not tell him this, he did exactly this, held my head like it was meat for cooking, dead meat to be inspected for lumps of cartilage and gristle. She told him something else, told him. He said I was a disgrace to Ireland. He told me I was a whore. Always at this same moment, we would ask her a question. We had to ask her because it was not technically part of the story, the thing she most wanted to say. This last part, which was perhaps the cruelest part, and the moment she believed her sore scalp was cursed. These were the words that had slipped into its riverbed of open wounds. The roots altered, the follicles seeded, and so we asked her to say what she couldn't bring herself to say unless she was prompted. We asked her, and what did your father say then? He asked me if I'd done it. He asked me, did you put on a red skirt and laugh with soldiers at the end of the road? Cold dark. Every so often one foot slipping deep in the mud. Rain cloud passing the moon, showing us its bulk. As soon as she was finished talking, she fell asleep. And the next morning, while we sat beside the bed, she made a whistling sound, a last puff of air leaving some secret chamber behind her heart. Soon as her body made that sound, her lips, all of a sudden, entirely dry, two little peach slips of paper balanced on the skin that had been her mouth. We sat there for some time, looking at the body of the woman we'd grown inside of. A woman who never went back to the parents who'd sent her away and who never saw their daughter as a wife or a mother. When they thought of her, most likely they thought of a young woman eating raw eggs and dandelions and any other mixture rumoured to speed up the growth of hair, to bring back the plat that we were now all these years later, supposed to cut away. Helena said, let's just do it. Best not to think about it. Let's just do it and have it done. But of course, it was me who turned our mother's cold head to one side and cut one, two, three times through her plait. Me trying my best to cut in an even line, all the while knowing I'd never forget the feeling on its way to me. A fistful of my mother's severed hair. Our mother's hair, which I'd never seen cut any shorter 
then midway down her spine, which she rubbed with oil, but that nonetheless bristled electric when it rained. Helena covered her mouth when it came away from her mother's head, said into her palm, it kept its shape. And her mother in the bed, what shape was she? Looking celibate and sacrificial, now that she was shorn. We sealed the plait closed at its untied end, put hot wax to the cropped hair that had lain against our mother's neck. It had singed a little under the wax. I'd known it might, but I'd forgotten if it singed it would also stink. Or maybe I hadn't forgotten. Maybe I thought if it smelled like anything, it'd smell of eggshells. Of cream underfoot. Blessed, useless water landing on frosty earth. A man coming home and knowing something has happened. And so, waiting on the step. Waiting until the absolute last moment before he pushes open the front door. For weeks and weeks, copper stains on a white pillow come morning. Well, we're here. I didn't know if she was sniffing because she was crying or if she'd been the whole time sniffing from the cold. I took it out from inside my coat, careful not to let it catch or snag, as tender with it as I'd been when it was still tethered to her nerve-rich skin. And then we stood very still, waiting. Probably we thought it would twitch a little in the silvered light, would curl into itself or stretch out taut. After I don't know how long, Helena said, nothing's happening. Like it had heard her, cloud letting loose a first scatter of rain, I thought something would happen. Something Helena didn't know at the time. Later that night, our mother had woken up again. We'd both fallen asleep in her room, and when I woke up stiff in the chair, I thought Helena was telling me she was dead. But no. My sister was still curled on her side, her face to the wall. It was our mother, talking. Our mother, who knew which broken bone takes longest to heal. Which flowers, once plucked, will wilt fastest. In the dark, I could see her eyes gleaming. What I could not see, but could picture perfectly. The crinkled skin around them. Her freckles that had once sat apart, now clustered and blurred. All those things that happened to us. No one ever spoke of them again. The rain was heavier now, where Helena and I were standing. No one wanted to remember after. Hadn't we won? Hadn't we gotten what we wanted? No, 
not rain. It was hail, bouncing off the grass where it fell around us. But I have yet to see it. The place that's worth a woman on her knees. Helena tilting back her chin, showing the moon her throat. Even pulling on her collar to let the hail slide down her front because we were hot suddenly. The two of us boiling. The hail turned to little flecks of embered coal. My whole life I'd been hearing this same story. But only then did I see it. What she'd wanted us to know. The part she knew we hadn't yet heard. Our chests sweating under the hail that was softening as suddenly as it had started. Letting way to rain. All it had been. A passing shower. Hard and quick. Enough to turn her hair sodden so that it sat with a strange weight in my open hands, pulled on my wrists. What would it smell like later, when it dried out again? In the morning, when it was still here and we were at home, getting ready to live in the wake of her dying, when the two of us would have to start moving around the house and remind each other what we'd felt and what we'd seen. We didn't know then that we'd have to remind each other every day because people will have you believe anything if you're not careful. That you don't mind the tread of feet across your back. That a slice of magic was the blurred vision of misplaced grief. That it takes anything less than a lifetime for a body to purge and feel something resembling relief. They'll have you believe your mother never stood up again and cut a path you walk down every day. They'll try and make you forget that. Even when you're sat in a chair or asleep in your bed, you're moving down a path your mother cleared for you with the simple fact of her own body. Some things you can't lose once you know them and some things you can't know unless you look them in the face, straight and full. Things that keep you warm when you are freezing, no matter how often you're told you are cold. No matter how often you're told you didn't see a piece of your mother shining bright as midday sun, never mind the moon. No matter how often you're told you didn't warm your hands against it, that you only dreamed the heat. There you heard Seer Sharonan read for us Shorn, a story by Sue Rainsford, specially written for Spoken Stories Independence. Next time, hear Wendy Erskine read her new story, Anti-Treaty Sentiment. Enjoy Spoken Stories Independence new writing weekly on RTE Radio 1, wherever you get your podcast on rte.ie forward slash culture 
and on the Spoken Stories website. From me, Cleon and Ian Lewin, thank you for listening. <laughs>